You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 9, Photographing Wildlife in Africa, and we're joined by a special guest. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Wildlife Photography Podcast with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Good, Rob. Good to be back. Um, we haven't talked in about a week or two. So oh, it's been a while, isn't it? It has. Yeah, it has. Anyway, what, what have you been up to? You know, not a lot of shooting lately, actually. I'm still waiting for my uh, renovation to finish so I can move back to uh, my place. <laughs> Is that still um, ongoing? It's still ongoing. Yes, yes. It's uh, the never ending project. But I, I'm within like two to three weeks, I think, when I can move back. And I'm looking forward to it because I was out there just the other day. Pine warblers are back. Some of the egrets are back. Osprey came back a couple weeks ago. So there's going to be a lot to photograph. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, I'm getting trigger those, happy. That's for All sure. those spring migrants yeah. coming in. Yeah, there's well, I've been, I've been hearing some of the warblers coming back into the w- local woodland, uh, you know, just by the house. So uh, the chiff chaffs are in and, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, but I'm like you, I haven't picked up a camera in weeks. Yeah, <laughs> just... it's, it's bad when that happens. I will be in the UK soon. Hopefully we can meet up, Rob. I'll be yeah. in the Shetland at the end of June. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because because Jen and I are going at the beginning of June and we're going to unfortunately miss you because, you know, you're going two or three weeks later. But as you say, hopefully, you know, you're flying into Heathrow and Heathrow is not that far from me. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to, you know, meet up if, uh, if if we can make that happen but uh, we'll, we'll see but yeah anyway so today I thought we'd you know we we talk about photographing wildlife in Africa because African mammals in particular are probably the most popular subject uh, in wild art and a lot of the other photography competitions so I thought it was a it would be a really good subject for us to talk about because I know you've been to Africa quite a lot I've never been. But we're also joined by somebody today who's uh, also a, uh, one of the new judges on Wild Art Photographer of the Year this year, who's also very experienced uh, in uh, in photographing uh, African mammals in particular and leads tours there regularly. And we're joined by Michael Snedick. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thanks, uh, Rob. G'day, Josh. How are you? Michael, great to have you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you on the show. So, yeah, Michael, thank you. It's the second time in a week that we chat. Indeed, um, yeah. Because if if people have, if people haven't already seen it, Michael and I did a did a live broadcast uh, last weekend, or a couple of days ago, because we're recording this on a well. It's Wednesday for you, Michael. It's still right. Tuesday for Josh and me because <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a I, bit I of a. I got up yeah. out of bed. Josh has finished work. You're you're in the evening, probably having a hot toddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it, it it's ten o'clock at night. Well, it's, it's actually half past ten at night for me. It's half past five in the afternoon for Josh, and it's what half past seven in the morning for you on the Wednesday. Yeah, night, that's right. It? That's right. <laughs> so being in, in the UK, Australia, and America, you know, it's kind of difficult to make these things happen. <laughs> but anyway, we we managed it. So uh, so yeah, so well done for that. But uh, so, yeah, so we did this live, didn't we, um, a few days ago where we talked about some of the new categories for Wild Art Photographer of the Year this year, in particular Tiny, which is which is your concept, which is, yeah, which, which is quite, you know, the opposite side of things when we talking about large African mammals. But uh, anyway, 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, as you mentioned, uh, when you look at uh, you know competitions and wild art in particular, it's interesting how the African mammals, the African and the birds, I guess as well. But it's they're just so unbelievably photogenic, so easy to photograph, uh, and no matter where you are across Africa, not just uh, it could be Kenya, Botswana, Namibia. I mean, no matter where you go, it's. Uh, really special and uh, as you know I just came back from there uh, last week so yeah. after three and a half long years as you uh, as you guys know us Aussies were locked up for two years we weren't allowed out anywhere because of uh, COVID and it was great so I had a group fully booked went to Kenya and it was absolutely brilliant I mean really really special to be back even though I've been many times over the years it was uh, every moment I I really treasured it was it was Fantastic. Really, really great uh, experience. Now, I thought this would be a really good discussion to, you know, to get the, you know, particularly you on to the podcast um, to talk about this, because I know, you know, obviously you've been to Africa a number of times. I know Josh has been and I've never been. So yeah, I thought that sort of triangle was quite good fun. You don't um, know what you're missing, Rob. No, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's Let's on work my, on a Josh. We've it's got to on get my uh, Rob over there. Yeah, we get him there. <laughs> But yeah, I've, I've got to get to I've got to get to Africa. But interestingly, you know, I, I you know I look at it from the point of view of having coordinated so you know many competitions over the years. Obviously, in particular, Bird Photographer of the Year and now Wild Art. Um, obviously, not with Bird Photographer of the Year, African mammals, but there were a lot of African birds in that competition. But Wild Art in particular, and I know things like Natural, you know the. Um, you know, uh, wildlife photographer of the year, for example, you know, a, a really good proportion of those entries comprise African wildlife and in particular the sort of top five, as it were. Why, why do you think that is? I, I think that uh, when what I briefly mentioned, the fact that the, the ease, I mean, Africa is, it, it's just so unbelievable. I mean, you can talk about it, hear about it, see the photos. But when you're there and you're in a vehicle and these animals are totally and utterly, completely, in, in most cases, unafraid of humans. I mean, I've got, apart from taking photos, apart from uh, teaching photography to my group, the videos from my iPhone that I have of lions walking straight past, pausing at the vehicle, looking up at you, walking past, they... They are not afraid and they look at the vehicle as a whole. They don't, then there's no uh, issue with that. But if you were to then hop out, well, obviously uh, it's a different matter. But they're, they're just so close. Um, cheetahs on the bonnet. I've got video of cheetahs on the bonnet of the vehicle. I've got giraffes that come on over and just walk straight past. We've got the, the herds of elephants with the, uh, the, the baby in the middle being, you know, looked after with the matriarch usually front and, uh, and left, just walking in between the vehicle. Oh, that's why. And the leopard in the tree, you drive on up and they, it's as if you're not there, guys. It's, it's as you know, Josh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and you don't know where to turn. And when I present tours, we always make sure that we have plenty of room. There were six of us. We had two vehicles. Everyone had a window seat and could go left and right. Um, we had the, the roof open so you can stand up uh, and you can photograph. We have bean bags, which I always request that you nestle your camera and lens. 
it's just incredible. I mean, even compared to back here in Australia, where, of course, where I live, and we've got wonderful wildlife and, uh, and birds, et cetera, but Africa's, it's another level. It really is mm. very, very special. And, uh, yeah, I sh- I'm sure you agree, Josh. You've, yeah, you've absolutely. been that a few times as well. And I think from a photographer's perspective, when you go to Africa, in my opinion, there's no better place for fine art, black and white photography like Africa. You get these wide open vistas and, you know, the textures on the elephants or lions and so forth. It's really the best place for that. And I think if you're a photographer and you're making prints or you're selling prints, people want that on their walls. I mean, I love to photograph, you know, songbirds and warblers. People really don't want a Blackburnian warbler in their living room. But if you have Kilimanjaro and a black and white, <laughs> you're one of the few, Rob. Yeah, if yeah. you have um, Kilimanjaro in the background and some e- elephants walking past Ambicelli, it's it takes it to just a whole nother level. Um, it's such, do, you, it's do, you th- do you think it's those species that that people can really relate to because they, you know, that they, they know, you know, even if they've never seen an elephant yep. or a lion, you know, they they relate to them immediately. Do you think that's that's what the draw is? I think that's part of it. From for, I think for the folks who are going there on tours, definitely, and for people purchasing the photography, consumers of it, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's key. Yeah, it's, it's an instant relationship. You know, they, between you know, w- with those animals, yeah. yeah. I, I think also um, here, certainly in Australia, David Attenborough has been a legend for fifty plus years. I mean, really, most people know David Attenborough, and when you see the documentaries and what you just said, Josh, that classic, which we were at, I was there a week ago. Amberselli, snow on top, elephants in the in the, the base. I know it's been done many a time, but when you're the one doing it, when I had people, some had been before and uh, two of my guests had never been. And it's like tears in your eyes moment because you're there in the open, in this vehicle. The elephants are walking straight towards you. You've got this incredible, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro, which, of course, is Amboseli in Kenya. Uh, with, with the Because we didn't have much snow on top and it was interesting. Um, there, there'd been a drought and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but it uh, rained... Um, quite heavily and uh the following morning there was snow and so then wow. when we were there we we had this incredible view again of kilimanjaro yeah. with snow with the elephants uh it was yeah very very special and people relate i mean people uh it, it's quite amazing and when you see these animals so close uh whether they're it's a portrait whether it's a behavior i think it, it's just a wonderful thing and what you said josh black and white doing the monochrome, um, you know, with, with framing, fantastic. Yeah. A real feature yeah. on a wall. And yeah. you were just there in Amboseli, you were mentioning, Michael. And so I've been there. I've been to Amboseli, when was it? November, late October, late October, early November. And I know a lot of folks go there for the migration and they're there in some of the dry season. March can be wet. Uh, what were the conditions like? You mentioned there was a drought. How different was it from some of the times where, you know, the where I think, you know, I don't know if it's considered the high season or a lot, but I know most people go from August to November. That's It's trafficked a lot by photographers at that point. I've always wanted to go in March, actually. The reason, thanks, Josh, the reason that um, I chose March was that I try to avoid the, the high season, the crazy season. It's busy, it's expensive. Um, and I was telling Rob uh, just uh, during the week that there had been drought, full-on drought. There had been no rain for at least a year. 
Um, huge amount of animals had died, lots of elephants, including uh, the famous Tusker Tim. Uh, he died in, in the drought. Uh, it was really quite, and the people, the locals, the farming, it was quite dire. But um, unbelievably, when we were there, the drought broke. It was the most incredible thing because in 45 minutes of rain, it absolutely poured torrentially. We drove out, we waited and we drove out and uh, the, the creek crossings, we couldn't get across because of the water. The next day they had more rain. They've had more rain since. Uh, thankfully it started, but then let's go across. Part two of my tour was in the Masai Mara and I have never seen it so green and lush. Mm. Absolutely unbelievable. Green, lush, as far as the eye can see, uh, it, was, it was amazing. And the amount of animals that were, that were mating, breeding, uh, the guides were saying that this is a bumper season and it will be because of, because of that. So, to contrast, but thankfully the rains happen um, just, but it was, it's, it's like um, a seasonal, when I say seasonal, um, of an afternoon, late afternoon, you get the thunderstorm, it's gone and then you're fine. So for us, it didn't affect anything mm. as far as the yeah. tour. We still went out, but uh, thankfully it did rain because the guides were saying that another month and they would have been in dire straits. It was getting really wow. quite bad. Wow. Yeah, they must have thanked you for the rain then, Michael. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a good one of the fellows in the Masai Mara came from Amboseli and I showed him the video and he had tears. Like he yeah. that's where he's from, his family yeah. struggling. And uh, I it heard must about have, must have been Amboseli. an amazing moment actually, because you know, I know what it's like when it when the occasion it doesn't rain in the UK for a while, which did happen well has happened actually um over the last few years. We, during the summer, we've had six or eight weeks where it just hasn't not a drop which is really what? unusual yeah six exactly eight weeks of no rain in england in, exactly i mean can you believe it it, it <laughs> <No>. does happen <laughs> it has started to happen and uh you know i know when that breaks you know it's just everybody's yeah it's raining can you imagine that in the uk people actually cheering oh, the fact that it's raining really. so if to go well, for well, a year I know, really to lose a load of animals, yeah, and dust. Yeah. I mean, the dust, the swirling dust, and it was wonderful when it did rain, and we headed on out. The air was clean, and the dust was kind of gone, and it was, uh, it was really nice. Yeah, it helped uh, with the camera gear for sure. <laughs> the dust oh can be a my big goodness! Problem. Big, oh, big yeah. thing on that, uh, Josh. Yeah, I always tell my guests, my participants. Never, ever, if you can possibly help it, don't change your lenses, you know, when a big truck's going past with dust or out in the field. I mean, it's just so, so hard to keep the dust out. Um, always, I've got a Giotto rocket. It's a puffer, the big, big puffer that I use. I use a brush. I, um, Yeah, it's uh, it was a little bit of an issue, uh, especially mm. with open vehicles. We had little, like, blankets that we would cover over in between shooting. Um, because there was so much dust and we'd come back yeah. and luckily we had a laundry service and, you know, you put your stuff to be washed and it came back a different colour, not, <laughs> not because they bleached it, but because they got rid of the dust. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But, but I mean, it's great from that yeah, point Yeah, that, on, that must be a real problem actually, you know, out, out in somewhere like that, you know, that dust problem, which digital did never, <laughs> never solved that particular issue, no matter how hard yeah. the manufacturers have tried. Exactly. Luckily, it only lasted a couple of days when the drought broke 
And that was part one of our tour. And then, of course, the second part I mentioned in the Masai Mara was was amazing, and it was it was all totally fine. But mm. uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience. We um, just going back to Ambassilly. I had uh, with my group a, a remarkable hour and a half with Craig. His name is the Tusker. He's now the biggest Tusker in the world. When he stands, his tusks virtually touch the ground. He's such a gentle giant. He's 52, hopped out of the vehicle, lay on the ground on a, on a, like a, um, a poncho with beanbag and did the old wide angle looking up. And it was just incredible. And I'd photographed so many elephants. And after a while, it needs to be something special, yeah. something different. And uh, I tell you, it was, it was amazing. It was uh, yeah. really good. Mm -hmm. And all of us... <laughs> All of a sudden, one of the guides, Charles, his name was, he goes, My, Mr. Michael, quick, quick. He said, get in the vehicle. <laughs> but what's going on? And I looked around and there was Townsend. Townsend's the grumpy, the grumpy one that turned up. He's 47. And uh, he gets really, really uh, poopy with uh, people. So it's quite interesting. You got this gentle giant and then his mate turns up. And it was really quite an interesting little scenario. But having them both there right three, four metres from the vehicle, yeah. eating away. Uh, brilliant. That's so, amazing. yeah, amazing experience. The, yeah. the one thing I've noticed with Tuskers too, especially like your Craig, we ran into Craig when I was there a couple of years ago, and it's such a special experience. I've been to South Africa a few times, Kruger. And, you know, the elephants there, I mean, it, there's just, you know, you just don't, you, you can't appreciate it until you see, a, you yeah. know, uh, an animal like Craig, how special Craig is. Um, I will ask a follow-up question, though, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. So a lot of people, when they go to Africa, they're in North America and many places because, you know, walking around won't kill you with wildlife. The obvious choice to get perspective is to get low. Sometimes it's difficult when you're in Africa. Obviously, you're in a vehicle. Yeah. There are certain instances where we were able to get out of the vehicle and get that lower perspective, whether it's, you know, the dry lake bed in front, you know, with the elephants crossing and so forth. Tell me about how you were able to get out and what instances were you able to get that lower perspective? Because most people are confined in the vehicles due to, you know, safety concerns and so forth. Yeah, no, in, in most cases, you do not leave that vehicle for obvious reasons. But when the guides and I, we had two uh, guides there, James and Charles, that I mentioned, both, both 10 to 15 years, incredibly experienced and they make sure, I mean, the area that you're in, it, it, it's, it's an area that's as safe as safe. You can look around, um, there's, there's planes. And basically, um, we were in the open. So with, with Craig, he was completely, totally relaxed. And we were able to just hop out of the vehicle and we were right near the vehicle. And he wasn't interested in any way. He said so many people, vehicle, every time people go there, they try and see this, this amazing Tusker. Um, and using the wide angle lens and looking up, uh, it, it just, it, it's a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, again, it's been done before, but it's, it's, to me, it just was, it, it highlighted the incredible size of the tusks. And then another, another shot was um, just on the vehicle itself, zooming in, just doing that part head shot with those amazing lashes, for example. I mean, that was great as well. And, what I love, um, I, I won't necessarily do the, the whole body. I'll just do um, the headshot with the trunk in that lovely curve shape as the food's going to the mouth. And, yeah. I, you know, and then doing the, holding the camera in portrait position, for example, and just getting the, the front on shot and trying different things. Um, 
we can say it's been done before, but when it's you doing it, oh That's my right. goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially well, with the dust especially... kick up and drama, you know, yeah. and you get some of that drama and the skies and the clouds. It's, it's amazing. We, yeah. we were able to get out a few times, but what we did also, and it actually worked a little bit, although I had to throw <laughs> the lens and the camera away. I took an old, uh, I'm a cannon shooter. So I had an old uh, rebel and I had a, um, uh, I think it's a Jobu. Is it a Jobu? It's like a gorilla pod. A flexible, oh, yes. so we put yeah. it on. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. Yeah. And we yeah. attached it to the front grill of the Land Cruiser, and I had a remote uh, trigger on it, and I had a wide angle. So when the elephants would walk close to the vehicle, I would just, you know, snap it. But <laughs> when the drive was over, we had to clean it off every night. The lens got really beat up, but we got some pretty intimate moments with just with the trigger, actually. Isn't it? Isn't it, it David? Out. David Yarrow does it. He does the. He does the stuff. With the with the remote, and he puts the camera the on the ground in yeah. front yeah. of the elephants, and I know he's had a few cameras destroyed by them. Yeah, yeah. but he yeah. gets some pretty pretty amazing stuff using yeah. remotes. His so access though is unparalleled. Yeah. I would love <laughs> to have his access. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's the stuff you don't hear about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much. But actually, isn't it isn't it the thing? I mean, when um, Michael, when you sort of take somebody who hasn't been before to to Africa. Do you, and Josh and I have had this discussion before that when you go somewhere where everything is new, then it's you're less likely to experiment with your photography because you want those you want to bank those record shots first. So you want you want the classic shots of African wildlife first. Do you find that that's what people tend to go for uh, initially when you first take them? Someone like absolutely that. absolutely and there are there are people i mean you can appreciate all different skill levels and experience um levels but when you're there and you see the elephant family walking towards you it, you know and you just want that nice portrait shot that won't necessarily you know win first prize in the competition but it's a uh, it's your experience and I guess because every morning you go out in the morning, pre, we always go pre-sunrise. We want to get that lovely light as it's happening. Uh, and then you go out again, you know, later in the afternoon. So two a day, if you're doing a, a, a trip, a 10-day trip or a nine-day trip, I mean, that's quite a few uh, safaris. So initially you get shots of the elephants, you get the lovely shot of the giraffe, you'll get the, the lion sitting there. But then, of course, then you go again and there's more lions and more elephants. So you go again. And so then it becomes a bit more experimental because they've already got those shots in the bag, so to speak. Same with the silhouette. I mean, we've seen it all many a time, haven't we, guys? I mean, the silhouettes mm. of the African animals. But when you're there and you're on a on a you know, this on a plane looking across and there's giraffes or elephants or whatever it happens, you know, wildebeest with an amazing sunrise, you do try and get that shot. Yeah. But then, of course, you can be a bit more experimental. And then I, you know, like getting rim lighting and, and zooming in on certain aspects um, uh, of the animal and getting in nice and close and getting more artistic. And I've seen, goodness, many of the, the wonderful shots in Wild Art in the last couple of years yeah. through the competition. Yeah. So it's it's both. That's what I find, certainly, that let's get those shots and get them out of the way and then let's get experimental as well. But not everyone's into that. Some people just love to shoot and capture the animal as is, a nice portrait or portraits. But then there's the behaviour as well. And in all the years, and, and for me, I mean, I've been to uh, Namibia, Botswana, 
Sabi Sabi, Madagascar, Tanzania, Kenya multiple times, gorillas in Africa multiple times. I mean, but any any kind of behavior excites people and the guides know it. It's it's just they work. Uh, you know, that cheetah that, that's about to pounce on a poor gazella in parlor, which people go, oh, that's terrible. But it, I, it is nature. It's natural. But being there, seeing it and photographing, it's adrenaline. I mean, forget drugs. It's just unbelievable. And you're there <laughs> yeah. witnessing this <laughs> exactly. in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you go on a for a lot of people, this is a, and for me included, this would be a trip of a lifetime. Hmm. So, you know, you're going to want those classic shots that you see. You're going to want and, to bag those. And there's a limited time for a lot of the classical yeah. shots too. And I learned, well, Kenya, especially because you're near the equator, that golden light and that special light that comes up, it's very fleeting. It happens so quickly. Whereas, you know, where I shoot, for instance, in North America here, you know, the, the golden hour, if you will, lasts a lot longer um, than it does when you're in Kenya. You can get some amazing light, but it changes and happens so quickly when you're close to the equator. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's Sorry, really no, difficult. Yeah, no, it's really difficult. I think because I see, and I know you guys do as well. Obviously, you know, judging the competition, if we if we want to talk about competition photography for 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 a while, you know, there are so many of those shots that come in, and as lovely as they are, and they are, you know, those classic, you know, silhouettes, you know, sunset silhouettes that we see, you know, elephants and lions and all the rest of it, you know, the rim lighting, the back lighting, all that sort of stuff, the standard kill shots you know the lion with blood all over its face you know the the sleeping lion in the sun the black and white stuff obviously that people are taking with the harsher light conditions generally in the middle of the day they are brilliant shots and we all like looking at them but we've seen them so many times because those people are sat next to half a dozen other people taking exactly the same thing and this goes on and repeats itself again and again and again throughout the year i mean how many photographers must go through somewhere like amboseli every year i mean the number must be yeah. astronomic and when you start adding those things up you start to realize that it's very very difficult to do something different you know so if judges are seeing this this sort of stuff again and again and again it's quite difficult i think to have a picture of an African mammal, which does well in a competition, you know, to get something special that actually is going to turn a judge's head. Would you, would you agree with that? I, I think um, absolutely. Then when you, when you look through some of the, uh, the winners of let, let's, if we talk natural history, wildlife photographer of the year, for example, over the years, and you look at what wins or what does really well. And, I mean, you're right. There's, it's, it has to be different. It has to be something that's unique. And the images that we look at and go, oh, my God, wow, that's amazing. It's either some moment captured that is so unusual, so unique, or it's some mind-blowing lighting or something. But you're right because there are just so many, many. And if a judge like myself, Josh, and others go through hundreds of images of the same animal and it's a nice animal, let's say – We'll talk about a lion with a lovely mane and it's sitting there looking at the camera. Well, that's nice, but basically it's not necessarily going to win the competition because what makes that image different, special to, to all the other images? What makes it a wow factor? What makes it a, oh, my goodness, this is right up there and it could win the category? Um, so it does need to be different, and that's what I'm loving. Very, very uh, exciting when I see the images and 
uh, you know, with Wilder, people are getting so creative and realizing they have to be because mm. we're no longer paying for film, paying for processing, limited to 36. You can take thousands of shots in a day. You can spend all day editing. I mean, when you look at it and the eye tracking, the abilities, of course, with the, you know, the different cameras we have, uh, you, you guys have talked about, but with the, I, I'm a Nikon user, of course, and I've got the Z9, which is remarkable, the best camera mm. I've ever used in my life. It is truly an amazing uh, piece of technology. And you look at the OM systems, the OM1 and the, the uh, Canon R3, R5, R6, uh, Sony. I mean, it goes on and on. And so as far as capturing behaviour, I really believe won't be long. There'll be, there'll be shots that you have never been seen before because animals doing things that are moving so fast and yet the technology is there now to capture them a lot easier. But then at the same time, you need, you really need to look and go, well, how can I make this interesting? You know, I, I'm a believer of using, um, you know, long lenses for sometimes for macro and then using fisheye lenses for wildlife. I've done that with um, birds setting up, uh, on tripods using fisheye lenses and having birds fly down and I'm there behind a tree with a remote. I mean, it's just different. And that's what I, what I try and do. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think in Africa too, there's so much subject variation. And a lot of it I think has to do with what subjects do you choose? Cause you know, I've been there and maybe instead of an elephant, instead of a lion, there's a leopard tortoise at a rest stop or there's lizard, you know, so you can get really creative, I think, with your subjects and do many things outside of the big five, right? And outside of a lot of the more popular mammals, Africa has so much, but um, for some people that comes maybe on their second trip, you know, or maybe they specialize in that. I mean, you could go to Africa and just focus on macro or herps, you know, snakes. Well, I was going to ask you about that actually, so much, because... Yeah. Because when you when you first go to Africa and, and and Michael, when you take groups there, presumably people are just focused on those large mammals. That's what they want. You know, do, do they do they ignore everything else pretty much? Or I, I can't believe this is exactly the conversation I had in the last fortnight. I mean, literally what you're saying is the conversation. And I was trying to explain and I'm saying to the the folks, you know, you're here, you're in Africa. Of course, we will get the shots of the elephants, the lion, the leopard, the cheetah, the zebra, the giraffe, the wildebeest. I mean, absolutely hippo. But there are so there's so much more. And the guides are even programmed they to, to get those animals. And I'd be saying, God, and every day without fail, I'd say, guys, please, let's, you know, if you, if you see, um, you know, a black bag jackal or if you see, I mean, um, it, it just, Anything that's different, smaller birds, you know, some of the, some of the we had an hour there where we had five different species. It blows my mind. It's never happened. Five species in an hour and a quarter of kingfishers. Mm. Uh, and one of them, would, there was a pair displaying uh, incredible, you know, aqua colored wings. And it was fantastic. And the, the, the group suddenly forgot about all the, the big stuff. And we had a ball that was brilliant. Mm. Um, but some of the smaller animals and the the iridescent, um, the, the the lizards running around. And, yeah, I, I find that I totally agree with you as well, Josh. Like that's that's as much fun, if not even more exciting, when you've been a few times. Yeah. As well as those amazing experiences of that, that we have to. We have to 
supply our guests, you know, those experiences because that is what they come for as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the irony is that perhaps a, a really good picture of some of those lesser known species might be more eye catching than the, you know, than the big mammals that every, because, you know, the, the, you know, the internet and the, it's just flooded with those pictures and people are so used to them. You know, certainly, certainly, you know, between the three of us, we're really used to seeing them because of the industry that we're in and we get exposed yeah. to them all the time. So, yeah. And, and there okay. are very, very few images of those larger mammals that really stand out. I mean, I can think of two or three. I mean, I can think of, um, remember Mo Morad's picture of the lion that looked like Narnia, where he'd used uh, a little bit of a slow shutter speed. Uh, to, yes, to capture yeah, that lion, and and that was really painterly, and it, and that was so so different. Mm. And then if you remember Trey Anfield's uh, picture of the gorilla, just the eye through the through the bark, yes. which is really really yeah. inventive. I thought that's, it was just a cracking shot. That's and and as certainly I'm going to say here, but uh, as a judge, that's the sort of thing that really works for me. I remember seeing that, thinking, wow. How many shots, and I've taken many as well, of the portrait of the gorilla, but that was really interesting. And Trey kind of looked, you know, outside the box, and, and I loved it. I, I Yeah. Um, can, I, can I give an example of uh, an image? And I know we're talking African wildlife, but for me, many, many years ago, I remember um, uh, an image that was taken, um, and it was the winner of um, Natural History, or, or as it was BBC Wildlife Photographer, and it was of the ants, the cutter ants. Um, Bensi, is it pronounced Bensi Matei, yeah, that Bensi Hungarian Matei, photographer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having that image with those ants, with the light underneath, and one of them was looking through the, the, the gap, and I just thought, oh, my God, that is so amazing. And I know we've seen it since, but to me that was one of those images that I thought, wow, here it is, it's ants winning natural history wildlife photographer and i look at some of the winners in wild art and they have been so incredible they've been different they've been unique and i think that's what we're looking for and what what about yourself josh i mean when you're yeah obviously i'm in my first year here judging and and you've judged before but what do you look for and, and we're talking african wildlife what what would you look for in uh, in images that make them stand out it's tough. It, it uniqueness, I guess. And I know that sounds like a simple answer, but yeah, something that we haven't seen before. And that's very, very difficult. Some of the stuff that we've seen when it comes to African wildlife, I think that's been more unique as Rob was just implying. It's not the big five or it's not the mammals. It's, it's birds or it's snakes or, you know, um, other types of lizards, that stuff stands out just because it's not photographed as much. I think the challenge too, with African, the, the, the big mammals, uh, there's a lot of resident photographers who live in Africa and who shoot them all the time. And, you know, it's, so it's very hard, I think, at least when it comes to behavior in certain situations for folks who travel there once a year, maybe once in a lifetime, for instance, to, to top that in terms of what, what they can get because they're always out there shooting. I think of a few photographers I know who live in Kenya and South Africa and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I guess it would have to be uniqueness. And I know it's it's a simple answer, but uh, and it's more difficult. As Rob says, the African animals, uh, African animals top all of the other, I would say, wouldn't that be the big five, Rob? That's probably yeah. the most when it comes to submissions. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, 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 as, and yeah, as nice as they are, you know, when you see another picture of an elephant or a lion 
or you know, <laughs> or a giraffe, or you know, it's got to be really special to to go into that sort of oh yeah, let's let's shortlist that for further consideration because you, you feel sometimes you feel that you're doing the photographers a disservice by not putting some of these fantastic shots through, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you have to you have to see something a little different. You have to be able to stop a judge in, in, in their tracks and go, no, I want to see more of that. You know, I want to take a closer look at that image. So, yeah, it's, and, it's, it's and tough. Wild, and I see wild <laughs> art, too, is more um, it's more about art. It's more about, you know, being creative with photography. I do find a lot of African mammal shots are more behavior based. So they're more literal. Right. So um, some of the shots that come in are fantastic, but they don't necessarily fit the brief as much as some of the more creative shots that we get, depending on the category. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're in that unique situation and you're seeing some brilliant behavior and you don't go to Africa regularly, you're more likely to, sh to want to shoot the literal representation of what you're seeing rather than going, oh, hang on a minute. I know I might cock this up, <laughs> but I'm going to be a bit more arty. It might not, you know, I might not capture the moment. You're going to want to capture the moment first, aren't you? And by the time it's over, you might not have that opportunity then to be more creative with it. But I can, you know, I can think of circumstances like, you know, perhaps lions sort of shaking off water from rain, that sort of thing, but with a slow shutter speed rather than, you know, the faster shutter speed sort of capturing all the water droplets, freezing them in midair. You know, you go for that sort of slower shutter speed so you get, you know, the, the, the motion blur and all that sort of thing going on. You're less likely to, to try something like that, you know, if you don't, go there regularly and i think this is this is probably why we see a lot of very very similar pictures because people ha i mean almost it's 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 like if you see an image again and again and again that's imprinted on your brain and the likelihood is you're going to want to try and replicate what you've already seen when you go to africa and i think that's part of it rather than having a fresh approach is if you were going to photograph something that you don't see very often in terms of images on the internet, for example, then maybe you'd have a, a you know, a, a bit of a, a sort of blanker canvas with it for want of a better expression rather than going and having already imprinted on your mind, you know, the sorts oh. of images that are generally produced of those animals, you're going to want to reproduce it and it's human nature. So do you think it's almost a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that you get the same thing over and over and over again, because the more you, do it the more you're going to get it i i think um it's interesting what exactly what you just said rob and, and you touched on josh um i think of the example of one of the photographers greg dutoit uh south african photographer he won natural history a number of years ago i just finished reading his book it's a fantastic read by the way it's a really really great book uh, on his life story but what you've got to remember is that he spent years and years, he was camp manager, he was photographer. So he, so when we're on tour and we get the morning safari, the afternoon safari over a 10-day period, exactly what you said, Rob, you're limited. Whereas he can be there all year, all the seasons, year after year, a thousand different attempts. I mean, he gets in the water for goodness sake and he gets down low and he does all this kind of stuff. And, and so he was able to capture things that were quite different, unique and, you know, living in South Africa. But then I've heard 
many a story of people have been on safari and they they're creative full stop from the beginning and they just think well here's the scenario here's the light here's the animal and they shoot and they've been to africa once you know in a, once a year or they go every second year and they end up getting amazing shots so i mean it's quite often it's the photographer the the person their eye their how they interpret but the fact that i guess the more you go the more chance that you do have and i totally totally understand that and the guests that i had along two of them were, i mentioned just briefly were, were new hadn't experienced the others had been before um and but it was wonderful because i had the mix and my what i do is i always mix up with my guest i always mix up so one vehicle with this you know these this lot of people and then in the afternoon with with another lot and we mix up the drivers um, and so you get to go out with different people and you see different things. And um, But being there and sitting for a while and then getting creative, like when you've got the, 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 um, the lioness or the lionesses with their cubs, we've all seen the shots, they're all sitting there. But all of a sudden, the sun's setting and the light's go, you know, coming through, you know, backlighting their fur. And, and that's when you can. You can start to play. You can, you can get creative. And I love that. And spending the time just sitting there relaxing uh, and, and not feeling pressured, not like a stamp collection. Next, next, next. Just sitting there, spending yeah. the time photographing. Almost sort of ticking things off a list. Yeah, like, yeah. I've got to have exactly. this shot. I've got to have that shot. I've got to have the other. Yeah, and you're yeah. not in the moment at that point. You're not taking what nature gives you, right? I mean, part of, I think, photography is just being in the moment, appreciating that it's out of your control and you're just capturing what comes in front of you. Yeah. You, you know, can't and, force and, the moment. And I, I think sometimes, you know, and I'm guilty of this as, as much as the next person, but sometimes we can get too focused on actually taking pictures and not enjoy the moment itself and forget about that. Yeah, I mention that regularly. Absolutely no question whatsoever. I say to folks, you're here, you've spent the money, you've spent the time, you've flown all the way. I had all Aussies on my trip, of course, and, and you've come all this way, the jet lag, and you're here, but seriously... Once you've taken a few shots, just enjoy it as well. Don't just look at it through the camera or through the the iPhone or the smartphone. Um, and I have to admit, I mean, we may have seen all these experiences before and documentaries and, and you get to see similar shots. But when you're there just so unbelievably close to these animals and it's not a, a, a fenced off area like you're, you're in the wild, it is, it, it's magic. And the fact that we go out, we chase the light. We go out, as I mentioned, early in the morning, late afternoon, we're always there at sunset and you never know. You never know what to expect. And even the rain, those afternoon storms, some of my favourite shots. And, and one, if I remember the last Kenya trip I did in November 2019, I was in the Masai Mara, uh, it, uh, the, it, the same, the same camp. I went back. I loved it so much. Uh, known as Kachechi, Kachechi Bush Camp. And we went up into the plains, not a single person vehicle sound around. It was really dark and gloomy. And there were three baby elephants playing, wrestling with each other. And there was that one acacia tree in the distance blurred out. And then the big storm came across. To me, I still remember it as magic. I thought, you cannot create that. Um, and then the next day we were out and we were really, really close and we saw them, um, the, 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 they were in the mud, they were playing and they were splashing mud all over themselves. And 
we saw that. And um, for me, go back to March 2015, Tanzania, that uh, Ngoro Goro crater, the amazing part of the world. It's this haven for um, wildlife that has what I call SWAT teams all around the outside. Um, there's satellites, there's teams with machine guns basically trying to stop poachers. So the wildlife feel free and safe. And the shot that, uh, if I may, I, I did quite well last year in a, another photo comp. I got runner-up with the elephant puffing dust and it was walking towards me and I got the whole series of shots and there was that one particular one where the, the dust, it was a particular shape around its body. And for me, it was, it was special. It was that moment. It was like my Attenborough moment. But, again, you couldn't have timed it. Um, just uh, if I may, I remember with my guests, I remember clearly I had uh, two others in uh, one vehicle and I had three in the other vehicle. And I said to the folks, I, we saw the elephants in the mud. They were bathing. I said, you never know. There's a chance. There's one walking towards us. I've watched enough documentaries over the years. There's a chance that it could spray dust on itself. And for those that don't know, the reason they do that and they cover themselves with mud, mud and dust is it's either um, like a sunscreen or an insecticide or both. And the guys were like, oh, no, the elephant's walking slowly. There were some stalks carrying on to the right of the vehicle and they all pointed to the right. And I got the shot the shot that's been so successful. And uh, the point was um, they didn't take the opportunity. And luckily I knew that there was a chance that this would happen. And it just kept getting closer and closer and then bang. And having that um, continuous focus or AI servo for the Canon users and having burst and getting every shot from when the dust is picked up by the trunk to the trunk lifting up to the dust being puffed out over the, the 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 head of the animal. I mean, it was it was a magic moment, and yet, I know we've seen that before. But I just thought, my goodness, this is this but, is my. But here, herein lies what I was saying earlier. I mean, you, the fact is that because you've been to Africa a few times and you've seen this and you you've seen the behaviour of these animals, you can preempt that because you think, oh no, I've seen this before. But for somebody who's not been there before and not experienced it. They wouldn't necessarily know that. And I think herein lies the difference. And this is what I, you know, this is the point I'm, I've been trying to make is that, you know, if you've gone there for the first time, it's really, really difficult to try and capture something different. And I, I completely understand that, which is why we get this sort of standard type image, because people don't know how these animals behave well enough to be able to anticipate a shot like that. Yeah, you can't underestimate that, right? Knowing animal behavior helps you approach, helps you anticipate. Um, that's so key when it comes to raising your imagery and the standard of your imagery. Yeah, I mean, just just think about the things that we all photograph locally. Because we know them so well, because we photograph them so many times, A, we know their behaviors really well and we can anticipate those moments. And B, you know, as we've said before, Josh, it doesn't matter if you go home empty-handed if you're trying something a little different and experimental, yeah. because you can go back tomorrow. Yeah. You can't do that if you spent 10,000 pounds or dollars or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is going to Africa. Yeah. You want to make sure you come back with something, you know, at least that you know, represents, you know, a memory for you. And, and with you, the new you, tech too, do yeah. you know, with, if you have an instance, like 
Michael, I think you were saying that was in 2015. You were in uh, Tanzania when the elephant yeah, came up. Yeah, correct. So, you know, what was – people were probably shooting seven frames a second, marked, you know, 1DX was yeah. what, uh, 10 frames, maybe 12. Now we're at, you know, 30 frames a second full raw Man. on certain cameras. So yeah. it's yeah. kind of amazing too how the technology and, – and one thing I will say from my experience in Africa, and I'm, uh, I'd like to hear your feedback on this too with the increase in tech like the Z9 – the R3, um, you can shoot at these higher ISOs and have great imagery. It helps with early morning or pre-dawn action, which is normally where you see stuff happening. So I've been able to get shots now pre-dawn or post uh, after the sun goes down, you know, beyond twilight where, you know, they're usable images. I'm shooting 10,000 ISO. I can get a leopard in a tree or eating something. Uh, whereas previous trips, I never had that opportunity. I just did the tech wasn't there for that. This is this is um, spot on. We uh, the last couple of weeks we had the, exactly the leopard in the tree. I mean, I know it's 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 very special when you see one. And the good thing is because of the cameras, uh, because of the technology, and even programs like um, Topaz and DxO, which are, are remarkable for removing noise. I mean, mm -hmm. we have Lightroom. We can remove noise. We can then sharpen the image. And to me. It's kind of, it, to a degree, making, it's like a silk purse out of a sow's ear. But when you um, are able to shoot at these incredibly high uh, ISOs, and a couple of my guests that were a little bit newer, and they were so nervous, and, oh, no, it's too noisy. And I just said, look, shoot, because really a high ISO image that's sharp is going to win every time over a lower ISO image that's blurry. Let's think yeah. about it. I mean, so and then we took them back and we basically I've got I had Topaz on my um, laptop and it was literally a jaw dropping moment. And you can do that. And with the senses being and, and they're getting better and better, as you know, as you, you too, Rob. I mean, you know yeah. what is happening. I mean, the Z8 is, is going to be announced any day soon. And I've read some of the specs of what they're rumoring. Uh, Nikon, yeah, oh my God. And then you look at OM systems, what they're planning, and Canon, it's this wonderful, they're all leapfrogging each other. Well, I mean, where's Along this going to be? Where's this yeah. going to be in five or 10 years' time? Mm. Oh, within 12 months. I mean, it's it's remarkable. And there are images that I've gone back that I've shot with high ISO that I've tried to to um, you know clean up, as, as, as it, you, you might call it. And I've just put them through. Topaz, for example, I know Georgina, uh, you know, of course, one of the, the judges with the competition, she's been using it and raving about it for years. I took longer. I waited. I just wanted to, to wait, make sure. And then last year with the, the updates, uh, I just said, this is, I, I cannot not do this. And I also tried DxO. They're both great programs. There are other programs out there. But can you imagine um, what you just said, Rob, in a few years, You'll be shooting at 150, 200,000, you know, ISO, and the sensors will be great. Let alone the fact that you can put it through these programs, shooting at low speed as well. I mean, you know, D sharpen, topaz. I mean, I, I mean the other thing, the other thing to say is, and I don't know whether you two do this as well, but sometimes if you've shot something at high ISO, with the massive file sizes that we we can all play with now. If noise is really a problem, we just just shrink the image a bit, and it, it reduces the effect. I mean, you know, do I need a forty-five megapixel file for 
half the stuff well most 95 percent of the stuff that i do no i don't need anything anywhere near as big as that yep. so if you shrink it down by 50 percent you know you're going to reduce the effect of that noise anyway forget forgetting topaz and all these other noise reduction programs yeah. and a little know. grain never hurt anybody I, exactly. I don't mind a little grain so a lot, i talked to a lot of people and they work so hard in these post-processing programs just to make it where there's no grain, everything's smooth. And it has an artificial look to me. So a little grain doesn't hurt, you know. No. And actually can be can be a really, you know, can be can be really effective at times. I mean, I can think of Triamfield um, shot, that lion yeah, shake with the uh, yeah, yes. the lion yeah, shake. Yeah. And yeah. and we're talking about African mammals here. The yeah. uh, other one was Fred von Winkleman. Do you remember his image of the elephants with the he'd taken it out of the back of a vehicle at night or at dusk coming back from uh, obviously one of, the, you know, one of the trips out, one of the safaris out. And um, he had a, a group of elephants cross the vehicle as, as they went down the track. Mm. But another Jeep was coming from behind. So they were backlit with the headlights from the Jeep with a load of dust it was taken at some ridiculous iso setting but and it had loads of grain but it was so good it was because yeah. the grain really made it because it made it feel like it was dusk yeah if it had been smooth it wouldn't have worked half as well so yeah. i think you know depending on the situation you're right a bit of grain can actually add something just just to clarify that i totally agree guys absolutely but again when we talk noise there's color noise so your red RGB, yeah. red, green, blue yeah. artifacts, and then you've got your grain. Uh, and back in the film days, of course, if we wanted to um, purchase, you had the 100 ISO, 200, 400, 800, 1600, and the higher you went, the grainier it was. And some of the effects were amazing with black and white, with sepia, with, uh, yeah, so I get that. Yeah, totally. But when it comes to the colour noise, which to me doesn't look great in an image, that's where the total. But I think I think I in. think you only really get that when you've pushed a file that you can't push. So you you know you 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 the exposure isn't quite right, or you want to do something to it. I think the higher the ISO that you use, you know, the less you've got the ability to really mess around with it. And when mm. you start, that's when you start introducing that color noise, and it really starts to take effect. So yeah, I agree with you. That's that is really horrible when that happens, and it completely yeah. ruins an image. I get well, a I lot of the darks with high yeah, ISO, absolutely. you know, your yeah. dark colors and, you know. Yeah. But my, that, that's, my that's it. If you're pushing shadows, for example, then you're going to get it there, aren't you? Correct, yeah. correct. And my teachings now, and I've hit, hit 27 years uh, of photography, and this is my 20th of teaching, and I say to students, and I have, and anyone that's listening, uh, you know, any of my past, uh, you know, photography tour or workshop participants, I'm always espousing the fact that shoot with the lowest ISO you can get away with. So, you know, we don't want to just shoot high and go, oh, we can fix it. Shoot with the with what you can get away. That's a general rule. But then when we're talking creativity, wow, let's do it. Let's just be different. And who would have thought those images that, that you know, you just mentioned, Rob? I mean, they're amazing. And yet, Oh no! Somebody would people would say, "Oh, it's too high ISO," but no, it works. It really does work in those. Yeah, instances. I, I I did a I did a talk recently, and somebody asked me because I'm showing some of my pictures, and generally speaking, I'll shoot upwards of a thousand, even with, with good light, because I don't worry about noise because I know what the camera is capable of, of, and I would rather have more flexibility with shutter speed and aperture, and not worry about 
a thousand ISO. Why would I? I mean, you, you know, with a D850, you know, the file size that I've got in good lights, you're never going to see any noise. I mean, you're you really not. And and that surprised a few people. Well, why are you using such a high ISO? I said, well, why wouldn't I? You know, and, and that was yep. that was a real surprise. I said, I know the camera can handle it. I don't see any noise. Do you see any noise in this image? No. So why would I not yeah. have a faster shutter speed, for example, for photographing this bird in flight or for capturing this action that I want to capture? Absolutely. You know, or, or why would I not use the aperture that I want to get the effect that I, I'm, I'm wanting in this image and not worry about the ISO? So why would, why would I not? You know, and, and, and that surprises yeah. people, actually, even now. I think I think what it is, perhaps, and this is, we're talking about perhaps people of our own generation here that we used to film and know how much film degrades when you get past 400, you know, and how much grain you used to get in those sort of faster films. I think that's still ingrained, if you pardon the pun, in people's minds <laughs> of our generation. The younger you know, the younger generation of photographers who've been brought up on digital and have seen the progression of the technology aren't so worried about it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And there seems to be a reversal. I see a lot of, I guess, what would you say? Gen Z is it Gen Z or the young, they're using, uh, they're buying film cameras, Polaroid cam, you know, and different types <laughs> yeah. of cameras for, you know, so it's kind of like things are <laughs> going, going the yeah, other Yeah. It's way. retro, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's retro. Yeah, I, I know this is. I know this isn't the um, you know, the podcast for it. But just on that comment, Josh, I love my music with a passion, and of course, of course, we went through vinyl, cassettes, CDs, you know, MP3s, uh, iTunes, and and now with streaming with Spotify and beyond. And now we're back to vinyl. Friends with vinyl, and it is phenomenal. Like yeah. it's it is really really turned around, and there are. They can't, they can't press them quick enough. Like, it, it's phenomenal. Plants are yeah. being uh, built everywhere. Vinyl is back in a big way. And the yeah. same, I'm hearing more and more, Leica, have, you know, they've gone back to release a film camera. I mean, it's really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. A lot One of people are circle. using Leica for street art, like street photography. Uh, Leica seems to be pretty popular amongst photographers but you're right there's nothing that sounds like vinyl it's got such an amazing sound uh, i don't yeah. think the eight track will come back thankfully but i think vinyl <laughs> might, be to, might be here to stay my, my dad had one of those in, in one of his cars you know the old eight track cassette things yeah my grandfather yeah. did too it was like a i think it was a cordoba chrysler cordoba montaban yeah. used to advertise for that the guy from anyhow but yeah yeah i, th I think dad's yeah. was a Toyota Corolla or something, one of the really early ones, <laughs> something like that. I can't, I can't. So, Josh, can I ask what um, what were the other countries that you went to? You've been to Amboseli, you've been to Kenya. Where, yeah, where so, else have you been? So, I've been to in Kenya. I've been to Amboseli, Samburu, uh, and yep. Masai Mara, and I've been to South Africa twice. I've been to Kruger. So, one trip was Northern Kruger from Satara up to uh, what would that be Punda Maria, I think. And then the other was from Satara down to Bergendahl in the south. How, and how was that? Very how, different. Great. How, how was? But, uh, yeah, they're they're very different. South Africa is much cheaper than Kenya, no doubt. It's about half the price as Kenya, but it's very different. You get similar animals, but it's a much brushier environment. You don't have those grand landscapes around. It's not as open. 
Um, yep. So it's yep. a whole different photographic environment. When I'm in South Africa, I tend to go in tighter just because the yep. brushiness and it's so busy uh, with with a few exceptions. Um, and then you, you you can get wild dogs more easily in, in Kruger. Um, I don't even know if there's wild dogs in, in some of those places in Kenya anymore. I know Zambia maybe. Or no, very place. few. Yeah. No, we didn't see any. Uh, very mm. few. I, I've been to Sabi. So Sabi Sabi, and uh, which, of course, south of Kruger. And that was the difference. And the reason you've, you've mentioned exactly what I was um, sort of uh, thinking, the the brush, the, the greenery, I mean, really highs. And um, in a lot of those spots, it, it's a bit trickier, you know, to find the wildlife. But when you do, wow, it's it's yeah. fantastic. Rhino is great for rhino, white rhino. They're, you know. That's ex yeah, we, we had rhino with babies more than anywhere else in, in Africa. Um, we had amazing giraffe imagery and, and we had lots more leopards. Yeah. So it, it was, yeah, it was great. But then you look at places like uh, certainly, yeah, Botswana, Kenya, the, the open plains, uh, again, very different. The other thing that I'll mention is depending where you go, some areas like in Tanzania, for example, in the national park, you could only go on the roads because in within the national park and that's where you'd get a lot of other vehicles they'd be all on the radio and they'd all come around when something was happening whereas in some of the conservancies like where i was um just last week we could go anywhere and the guides knew where the dens were they knew where the leopard would go up the tree they mm. knew and i on a personal level i really like that to be able to go anywhere and the most number of vehicles on that massive property like it's huge you could drive you know, we drive for half an hour without even blinking and, and not double up anywhere or more, like a, a huge area. That's nice. And the thing that I really loved that three, four vehicles is the most you'd see and were allowed. Whereas in some of the other locations, you'd get up to 25 vehicles yeah. turn up when the cheetahs were there, for example, which for me, it can be a little bit much. Uh, when they all come round and they all race like crazy because they want their guests to see. And I, I do understand they want their guests to see the animals, but I prefer, I don't know how you feel, uh, Josh, having oh, been yeah. there, but I prefer that quieter. Uh, I mean, how much, how much of a you. problem is that, you know, the, the, the sort of vying for position between oh, vehicles? Because I've problem. heard this. Yep. I've seen it almost is. fist fights where vehicles you, you go, Josh, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it gets pretty bad. I mean, the we were in a situation where a leopard was hunting um was it I think it was Thompson's gazelle and we got there fairly early. There was only one other vehicle and then it turned into like 40 45 vehicles. I mean, they formed a big U. I mean, so the leopard abandoned the hunt. Uh the gazelle got away and then the vehicles were jockeying for position and then, you know, obviously one will back up and then a photographer will get blocked. There'll be some words exchanged. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, so yeah, I'm totally with you, Michael. I, the less, the better. Um, it's just, it's what I, yeah. what I have heard actually, um, of course the big crossing photographs in the Mara, that's the one of the busiest areas, you know, you go, I guess it's what October and you get all these vehicles when you have the wildebeest going across in 2020 when right after COVID came out and most people were in lockdown. I know a few photographers who went over there and they said it was glorious because, you know, there's very, very Absolutely. few people there and there's, it was amazing to be at these crossings and you weren't competing with a lot of other photographers. But if I had to go back in time, 
I would have tried to get over there at that point in 2020. Yeah, that would yeah. have been amazing. I, I know a lady from the States who actually, um, during COVID, like for in Australia, we couldn't fathom, as you, as you heard earlier on in, in the, um, the podcast, that we were locked up for two years. I mean, we could yeah. not get out, not even New Zealand. Like we couldn't mm. get out. She was traveling and she had her own vehicle and she was at camp with one other person. And she, she said it was remarkable. It really, so I agree. It would have been yeah. incredible, amazing experience. But when uh, I've got a really fantastic uh, operator here in Australia that I deal with, that, that's, that, that organizes all my African tours, uh, Encompass Africa. And honestly, they just know, and they know me as well. I mean, I try and get the best experience, you know, for my guests at the, at the best price possible, but it's more the fact of the experience. And if we can go somewhere where there's a chance of seeing A, B, C, D as far as wildlife um, and you've, you've got amazing lodging, star food, sure. But when you can go and you're the only one or you might have one other vehicle and they talk on the radio and they communicate. It, it's fantastic. And I've been there. I've been in that experience where they all jostle and I'm standing there and I'm just thinking, this is nuts. They're all yeah. yelling and they're shouting and, and they're revving the engine to try to get the cheetah to move. And I mean, that doesn't happen everywhere. Of course not. But I have seen it happen um, years ago in the very, very beginning. There was, there was one experience like that. And since then, uh, I've been sort of a little bit more careful as to where I choose. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, this is this is what you this is the side that you don't see, because obviously you're looking through the lens. You know, if we're all looking at these amazing shots of African wildlife, you know, you're seeing what the photographer is seeing through the lens. You're not seeing what's behind the scenes. Um, you know, and, and I've heard this. You know that there can be <laughs> almost fights. You know, for for position and and numerous vehicles, and you have to wonder, you know, the effect that that is actually having on the wildlife at times mm. so i'm not saying it happens all the time but there must be circumstances where it's you know where as you say you know uh, you know a predator actually you know um stops hunting its prey abandons a hunt because of the attention that yeah you know it is being forced upon it by all the photographers that are crowding around I mean, and i've seen the opposite too fact. rob i've seen where leopards have actually used vehicles and hid under vehicles to as a part of their um attack scheme so well, it, really, <laughs> they learn don't they yeah yeah <laughs> Smart, last, one under you know yeah last couple of weeks guys we had three leopard siblings two females and a, and a male and they walked right across the plane there was nothing anywhere there were no trees right up to our vehicle and there was two vehicles i was obviously in one and we've got the second one and they lay underneath for shade i mean that was that's that is also incredible and then one yeah. of them as i said earlier you know just went on the bonnet and just kind of like yeah look through yep yeah, suppose there's the usual tourists <laughs> in the vehicle and it was incredible and they're relaxed i mean in most cases the animals are quite relaxed i have been there and seen that scenario where the the uh, the cheetah in this case went for a kill, and because of a vehicle she aborted, and it was late in the afternoon. And the guide said that's not good because her cubs don't get fed. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know. So, but if I may, just we talk about uh, you know the 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 Kenyas and the um, South Africa and Botswana, but I've also been to Madagascar, and we talk mm. about different and unique. Oh my goodness me, what an amazing place! 
I and you talk about the you know Galapagos. Well, in Madagascar, I'm sure you guys both know, the wildlife types, the variety, the species is so unique. And I still remember, and there was none of the, the you know, you, you didn't have the big five. It was fascinating, all the unbelievable, the chameleons and the lemurs and the shifakas, and that it was absolutely incredible. So that still a part of Africa, um, if you want to, you know, Madagascar, yeah. there, there's one that, and I know, I know pe people like Peter Bumbuzik, um, you know, he goes to places like that and he gets all these incredible shots. Oh, it's just uh, amazing, yeah. some of his stuff, yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. And I hear like the deforestation and what's going on in Madagascar. I mean, they, a lot of people say go now because who knows what it's going to be like. I mean, it's sad in terms of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, fr a friend of mine went a few years ago and he was shocked. Yeah. He said, well, I was expecting all this amazing wildlife, which, you know, he did see. But he said you drive through these areas that have just been decimated, mm. you know, and it's very, very depressing. Yeah, it's yeah. horrible. The pressure, the pressure. I went, uh, let's see, about six years ago, roughly. And even then I was told there was only eight or nine percent of the original rainforest left. And we yeah. went through Antonavira, the capital. And it was the single most, um, what's the word? I mean, not not depressing, but real eye-opener. The poverty was so extreme that that to, to see that for a day and then drive up, and, of course, you go up to these luxurious lodges and you're treated like, you know, the king, the queen, and yeah, and yeah. the heir apparent. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's the first and only time I felt really a little bit... Um, uneasy because the poverty is, is unbelievable mm. and so it's we can all say it's so wrong the, the land clearing and all that and because we love nature wildlife the environment then and, and i understand that but when you look at the locals who their number one aim they just simply want to feed their family yeah. Right, survival for it's them, isn't deep. it? I mean, you know, it's, it's all right. It's all right for us, isn't it? We can afford it. If you see what I mean, yeah. we can. Yeah. We can afford yeah. to have these views and opinions, which. And the, the thing that I find an issue, and this is without getting too much on my soapbox, but it's when the governments, the greedy, you know, they get in and you know they clear, and the locals get nothing, and they line their pockets. That's yeah. for me the politicians, yeah. and you know that's the issue. Um, but. Madagascar as a whole, like the, the areas that we went to and to see, you know, the lemurs out in the wild and, and you know, I, I could only dream and it was, it really was special. And again, um, the little stuff, the the unusual, and mm. I found that just as exciting and as, as wonderful to, to see in photograph as, as the big stuff yeah. in Africa. It, it, isn't it yeah. a shame that, you know, that, that you, species like lions um, and elephants those are the sort of things that an economy can be based upon because people want to photograph them. They want to come and see them. So you can, you know, you can create, you know, a, a thriving economy around those species. But when we, when you're talking about the stuff, smaller stuff on Madagascar, they, it doesn't have the same uh, sort of appeal, I think, to the, to the masses. So it's going oh, to be more, more, it's I going agree. To be far more yeah. difficult to, you know, and there's an irony in that. Yeah, you know, which yep. I I find, yeah, you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice, you know, for those people to be able to forge a living from protecting the species that that island has, mm. rather than yep. having to 
um, you, you know, I exploit it in other ways that is detrimental to the yeah. environment. You know, we saw it. We saw it with whale sharks, didn't we? And that the picture from the first wild art um, photographer, oh, the yes. first winner. Yep. You know where obviously the, the that was taken in the Philippines, and the locals are now feeding those animals because people want to come and see them and photograph them. That was them. Chabas, wasn't it? Tol Tol yeah, 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 it was. And uh, But th then again, there's an irony in that as well, in the fact mm. that because they're feeding them, they're delaying their migration. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we're having yeah. an effect whatever we do, but it's far better than killing them, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but it is all about you know, people. I don't think people want to exploit animals by killing them necessarily. It's just the only way in, in many cases that they understand that they can make a living mm. you know and they're forced into it yep. and and uh, i think there are there would be a lot of poachers that would turn the other cheek as it as it were and 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 make a living from photography and from animal tourism mm. as opposed to killing i think they far rather do that it's just that it's an education thing yeah i, th I think for me the best example I don't think anything comes close. This is just my opinion. You talk about poachers and we talk about animals. And as soon as I mention, you'll, you'll, you'll know, I'm talking about the gorillas in Rwanda, for example. I mean, they, these animals were poached. Um, they're, they're in an area and the pressure of farming at the base of the Virunga National Park is, is full on. And yet there hasn't been a single poached gorilla so I was there, let's just go back, for over 20 years. Their numbers, their breeding, it's exponential growth. It is tens of thousands of people that are, that are directly or indirectly, it's probably even more, um, that benefit from tourism and paying these really high rates to, you know, 1,500 US was what I remember last time to, to, for an hour. But when you think about it, it is, it's amazing because you've got the guides, you've got the trackers, you've got the people, uh, the second generation, not third, second generation poachers that now have shops set up and the tourists then go down the hill, they get driven, they spend money. Uh, I think it's amazing. It, it really is. Uh, and for me, the single best experience of anything I've ever done anywhere in the world in my life to do with photography, and we're talking Africa here, uh, it's the gorillas in Rwanda. It, it mm. is. I've been three times, fortunately, with two treks each time, six treks. I was going to ask time. you that question. What's your favourite African moment? That's it. Just answered yeah, I've it. answered it, yeah. Rob. Um, the, wow. the, it, having grown up with Diane Fossey, Gorillas in the Mist, having read the books, it to me was such an unbelievable story. And even just the thought of getting near them or seeing them was so far-fetched when I was younger and seeing the movie with Sigourney Weaver, I went to the cinema, I saw it. And then to think that I'm up there and that close and having the young ones, <clears throat> excuse me, brush up against me and, you know, having a gorilla with a baby on her back right there, two metres in front of me where I've got to change my lens to a 70 to 200 or a 24 to 70 on a full frame camera because she's so close with a baby. I mean, it, and little ones wrestling. Mm. in front of you and the yeah. silverback having a bit of a moment where he suddenly gets up and he beats his chest and you just about poop your pants, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and then, and then like, wow. And really that to me has been the greatest, that that's something yeah. that I, 
that I recommend to anyone who's who's got the inclination, the money, the it's it's a fabulous experience. Mm. Really what, is. What about you, Josh? What's your favorite African moment? I'll tell you, I, I can tell you what my favorite moment is that I have not seen yet that I wanted to do, actually. And it's it's similar to the uh, gorillas. I, I was going to go to Gabon a couple of years ago. Ah. We backed out. There were some concerns last minute around some of the prep work that was done. And there were some things going on. But I wanted to go for the mandrel. I've always wanted to see mandrel in the wild and get those classic portrait shots of yeah, the frame the filling with the yeah. face and the color. Um so that's something I've always wanted to do. But as far as uh, experience goes, boy, that's it's tough. There's not one thing I should say that really stands out. Um, well, the one instance actually uh, was in Kruger. We were on this bridge. It wasn't great photographically, but it was just one of those experiences that you see. There was a pride of lions on a zebra, a dead zebra. They killed the zebra. They're, they're feeding on the zebra. And this uh, small grouping of elephants were coming. There was the matriarch and there was a young one. And they attacked the lions and there was a standoff and it was amazing. I got a few shots at the end where there was one male lion walking away and his whole face was just, you know, blood covered, you know, um, from the zebra. And you could see the matriarch behind, you know, charging him, getting him off. And he was, he kind of had a nonchalant look on his face, but it was pretty amazing. Right after that happened, we had a few rhinos that showed up in the riverbed as well. So just that string of events that happened. Yeah, um, makes it, it stick in your mind. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a question for you, Michael. If you could only take one lens with you on your travels to Africa, what would it be? Straight answer. I've got one. My 500 PF 5.6. Nice and so light. For right? those I mean, that this... know, uh, Nikon have been releasing uh, these lenses, which. Um, the PF lenses, which are basically half the weight, half the size, roughly half the price. Phenomenal. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I, I, I put that, I use that, of course, with my, um, the, the Z9, and as you say, Rob, Z9. Um, amazing. And the sharpness, the clarity, the speed of focus. Um, you know, I put that in my pack and it's on my, my, my shoulder. I've got a 70 to 200, 2.8 with a two-time converter. I've got a 24 to 70. I've got all of that, the fisheye. Uh, honestly, though, that 500 PF is, is a beauty. Really love yeah. it. Love that lens. Yeah. What, about what about you, Josh? You? Yeah, what about you, Josh? What would you take? Uh, I'd say probably the 70 to 200, 70 to 200 F2.8 because um, it's fast. You can get, you know, really wide scapes incorporating animals within the environment. And you can, you know, a lot of animals you can get close to as well. So you can put on a telly. It's very versatile. So I'd probably say the 70 to 200 F2.8. Okay. Josh, uh, Josh, do you know that that lens, exact lens with the two times is what I took to many African trips up mm. until I bought the... And I now take both, but seriously, that is what I used, and so it's I had an amazing. Do you know what that that is one of the few that is one of the yeah. few zooms that actually works okay with a telly. Yeah, yep. yeah, they work great. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do, they do. Yeah. And with the with the Nikon with the Mark III, which has been around for years, the two times and the one one point four time telly. The thing is, they they've been built for each other, and the the lack. I mean. Years back, many, many years with versions one and two, you really did have a bit of a, a quality loss there, but mm. there's very little. And, and I'm, I'm curious what you think, Josh, but there's very little quality loss with the Nikon yeah. 70 to 200 with the two times. It's, it's actually quite sharp. 
at yeah. 400. Uh, yeah, I I've heard that. I, so I I shoot the Canon seventy two hundred with the tellies. Yeah. The tellies are great with Canon. Although years ago, uh, I have a lot of Nikon shooter friends, and they used to tell me, I was it the one seven and the two times. I think those were the Canon, yeah. the one four and the two times. I think it was the doubler, the two times they had some quality loss issues. But this was yeah. going years back. Um, yeah, uh, they've they really improved it very yeah. very much. That's what yeah. I heard. Okay, final question. For you michael um if somebody who hasn't been to africa before where would you recommend they go first kenya i didn't even blink yeah <laughs> what, what, what about you josh yeah i mean kenya's yeah. amazing i i can't argue with that i mean kenya is incredible and there's so many different types of environments if you want to photograph elephants michael i think you'll agree ambicelli is the number one place on the planet to photograph yep. elephants yep. and you have the mara i mean yeah Kenya. Kenya. Yeah. Great stuff. Botswana is pretty good too, by mm. the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hang on. Tanzania. No, hang on. You can't, no, you can't do that. It's one place. I know. <laughs> it's like you with your blooming lenses. I asked you for one lens. It's like lists off a load. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, Michael, it's been, I think it's been, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, where can people find you? Have you got a website or uh, social media accounts? Well, I know you have. Why don't you tell people where you where they can find you? Sure. So my business is called Wild Nature Photo Expeditions. So basically, wildnaturephotoexpeditions.com. And uh, even though I'm Australian-based, I have had people from across the world, including from the States, come along on my tours. And uh, next week, I'm planning already for African tours for later next year. Um, a couple of photo tours and a few back-to-back. -back. It's uh, very, very special. And as much as I do this for a living, it, uh, when I'm there and I'm there to help people, my guests, I absolutely love the experience. I love being there. And uh, the reason I keep going back, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, as Josh has said, it's very special. And uh, we're going to work on getting you there, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> well, I'd love I'm looking to... forward to it. It's it's been on my bucket list for a long time. Actually, what about to... a trio? What about Josh Galicki, Rob Reed, and Michael Snetty going do it. on a trio yeah, to let's Africa? Do it. This let's could do be it. the beginning of something special. Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds, like sounds like a plan. Sounds Talk like a plan. to Jen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, it's been it's been great having you on. It's been been really good to talk about. Uh, about your trips and uh, you know about everything about African wildlife and Josh, you know, uh, you know, thanks for you know coming on and uh, and sharing your experiences uh, as well. It's been been really good to talk to both of you again. Um, I don't know what's next. I don't know what we're going to do next, Josh. We have to think about you know in the next podcast. But I know we've got a few few more guests lined up. Yeah. When we can when we can actually arrange it and uh, and record these things, it's <laughs> a bit like a bit like getting Michael and you together at the same time, being on different sides of the world. <laughs> it's, it's quite tricky at times, but um, well, we've got loads of loads of stuff planned. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll look, figure thanks, something. Thanks for the invite. Uh, great no, to talk to you guys. I'm a fan of course it's uh I've, thanks, I've listened to all of them and uh, it's great to be a part of it and um yeah thanks again thanks very no, much no problem. Great. well we'll we'll link your website and uh, and your instagram account and whatever in the show notes so uh, so, so look out for those but it's great uh, anyway. thank you brilliant well thank you everybody for listening i hope you've really enjoyed that that chat um and we'll see you again next time thanks thank a lot. you thanks. Okay, thanks michael
You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.